1: you are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your
2: team every day. In the minute, because we live. We, live. we live.
1: This is Locked On Hornets, your daily podcast on the Charlotte Hornets and the NBA. Subscribe and rate us on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Locked On Hornets. I'm Doug Branson, and I'm joined uh, by... Two men who took time out of their busy schedules to join me. First, the man, the myth, the legend, uh, taking time out of his busy pickup basketball league, David Walker. Still able to get it up and get it in. Yeah. Okay. Real quick.
0: This, this is advertised as a thirty and over. It is not thirty and over
1: at all. Are you what, saying is it forty and over? No.
0: It's, it's 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 listed as thirty and over. There are people in there. I don't want to name names or point fingers because they can run and jump higher than me. They are not thirty. They have not had their thirtieth birthday. That's all said.
1: Uh, Wait, d- are you
0: checking birth certificates on this now? <laughs> <laughs> I know a twenty year old when I see one. Oh, uh,
1: okay, all right. Uh, you all you're right. you're hearing his voice. He's taking a break from arguing with people online and writing for Creative Loafing. Nada Edwards.
2: Don't forget dime magazine. I am also writing yes. dime magazine. You're too. all
1: over the place, and I love you. You're a renaissance man, but not. A, I got to talk to you. You, you, you have to. You have to abide by for your own sanity. You have to abide by the 500 follower rule. You can't be arguing with these people who have 10 followers online. You're just I, giving I, I, them I, voice. I heard it
2: from Miss Calamity James today. <laughs> You're very popular on Twitter. I have already heard about this. I'm going to work on it. I'm going to try and work on it. But at the same time, what sanity, Doug? We both know I'm crazy. We all know. Again, everybody that listens to me knows I'm crazy.
1: Well, you're crazy about uh, our latest draft profile subject. Today we're taking a deeper dive into Nada's basketball crush. Uh, the man, Lowry Markkinen, the sharpshooting 7-foot freshman out of Arizona. I spoke with Orion Kelapier of Arizona Desert Swarm, the SB Nation Blog on the Arizona Wildcats. Let's take a listen to that, and then when we come back, we're going to get uh, Nada's thoughts. Hello, hi Ryan, it's Doug from Locked On Hornets. Hey, how you doing? Good. Let's talk some Lowry Markin. Good size for his position. The word out on him is shooting. Exactly how good at outside shooting is he?
3: Well, there was one point, like almost midway through the season, where he was shooting over over 50% from three. Um, and I think one reason that he, and I mean, for the season, he shot over 40%, but I think one reason why he, if you look at his college numbers, why they jump out the page is because he played, uh, he played in, in like Euroball when he was with the Finnish national team. And the three point line there is, is almost comparable to the NBA. And so when he moved to, to college, the line was actually shorter for him. Um, so he, I mean, right away he, he lit it up. He kind of struggled a little bit um, later in the season. I'm not, it wasn't really clear why. I mean, uh, they thought fatigue maybe, or he, like, he had a stretch where he was one one for 15 from three you know, and about a four-game stretch. But other than that, I mean, he's a consistent shooter. He's got a, a quick release. There's not much wasted motion. Um, and he can actually shoot off the dribble a little bit too.
1: How does he rate at driving the basketball? Does he have a set of of go to moves when he's driving, or is it a lot of improv and instinct?
3: Um, I mean, for his size, he's seven foot, I, like a legitimate seven foot. He can definitely put the ball on the floor. Um, it, it's not one of his strengths. I mean, I don't. You when know, I'm thinking back at, at the games that he played this year, I don't. There wasn't, you know, he didn't really. It wasn't like he had like a floater or or some sort of. Um, go to move or anything. I think his, his favorite thing was just like a like a one dribble pull up or something like that. Um but he, he can't put the ball on the floor. He's he's pretty mobile for his size. Um he's not super athletic in terms of his ability like uh, he's not a leaper, but he, he he's definitely comfortable putting the ball on the floor and uh and like I said, I think his his go to move is like a one one two dribble pull up.
1: Let's talk about his limitations defensively. How much of it was Physical and how much of it was awareness.
3: I think it's mostly all physical, to be honest. Um, well, one one thing is he was seven foot playing in in college basketball. He probably should have been playing center, um, but Arizona had another seven footer next to him, so he played the four most of the time. And it, it's just his. And in in college basketball, if you're playing the four, you're guarding guys that are six seven, six eight, sometimes even six six. Um, so his 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 uh, lateral, like lateral quickness, I think, was the thing that kind of limited him. Um, and then on top of that, he is seven foot. But I like I don't have the the mat. He didn't go to the combine, so his measurements you can't find his measurements, like his wingspan or standing reach or anything like that. Um, but he he was not He de- He was not much of a, a a rim protector, I guess you would say. He averaged only half a block per game, and they he played over 30 minutes a game. So um, I think with him, I mean, he's a pretty smart defender. The one thing he started doing, uh, as the season went on is he started taking a lot of charges. He was pretty uncomfortable doing that. I'm pretty sure he didn't do that a lot in Finland. Um, and in the college game, taking charges is a big thing and he started doing that. Um, awareness wise, I don't think, I think he, he's a pretty smart defender. It's just athletically, he's pretty, he's pretty limited.
1: What did uh, the what did Arizona do to hide his defensive liabilities? Did they have any particular strategies to sort of uh, counteract uh, those liabilities?
3: Well, I don't, not really, just because they didn't have. It wasn't where like they had a, a shot blocking center behind him that they could, you know, at least if he got beaten or something, like they have a guy uh, back there to alter the shot or whatever. Um, I wouldn't really say though that he was a liability. He just wasn't I mean I, I'm talking about Arizona basketball and they're used, where, like they're used to having you know Rondae Jefferson and Aaron Gordon and, and TJ McConnell, like guys like that on, that, that are elite defenders. He wasn't a, like Lowry wasn't I wouldn't like I wouldn't call him an above average defender, but I also I didn't, I didn't think he was he was a liability and, and they didn't it wasn't he wasn't a guy that they had to go like go out of their way to try to hide him on defense.
1: Fair to say that his tournament uh, performance left a lot to be desired. Yeah. What What do you think went yeah. wrong in those two games?
3: Well, one of the the things about his game is he's a guy that he lets the game come to him, um, and he's always looking to make he's always making the look like looking to make the right play, and in most of the times like that's what you want you want a guy who's not going to force shots or, um, you know. Try to just take over the game by himself, but in in some cases for him, it's kind of a, a curse in a way. Just because, I mean, the sweet uh, the Sweet Sixteen game when they played Xavier, he Markman went the last eleven minutes without a shot, um, and he's just one of those guys where if you know the off op- if he's not getting a shot in the you know in the heat of the offense, and offense isn't creating a shot for him. He's not a guy that's going to go out of his way to you know take a guy one on one or try to like like get his like um so it's a good thing like if you want if you want marketing to be a role player on your team i think he's a really good fit for that but um the nc tournament kind of showed that if you want him to be a featured go-to scorer, like i'm just not sure if he has the mentality for that
1: now how did he react after that tournament what was his sort of demeanor after taking that that difficult beat well
3: he yeah, well, he's a guy that's really hard on himself. Uh, I remember earlier in the season, he missed two free throws in, in a game. Arizona won by 15, and he went out on the court after the game and, and was taking finished, was just shooting free throws for an hour. I mean, he he doesn't he's, he really cares about how his performance and how his team plays. It's, um, when you're talking about that performance specifically, I'm not really sure. We didn't really get to – the only time we got to talk to him after that was a few weeks later when he um, – Declared for the draft, so I don't know how he took that game, but he's definitely a guy that he he really cares about how he plays.
1: How did he interact with his teammates and his coaches at Arizona? Would you would you qualify him as somebody that's that's coachable?
3: Um, Yeah, I mean, Sean Miller, Arizona's head coach, would raved about him. He never missed. He only missed one practice all season, and that was kind of a scheduled practice. Um, They say like the the reason when. When Markin was declaring for the draft, basically the reason that he said he, he even went to college is just because he thought the the coaching, specifically Miller, was 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 going to help him get better on defense and things like that. I think he's he's a he's a really coachable player, and I think it's just because again, it's kind of like that mentality of he he kind of you know he, he's willing to take criticism, and and he's not like a guy that he's like oh well, I know I know best. Like on offense, he's not a guy that's like oh I'm gonna just Give me the ball and get out of the way. He's he's kind of he trusts other when other people are like telling him he trusts the offense things like that.
1: Of all the skills that he could develop outside of his range shooting, playmaking, rebounding, shot blocking, maybe a, a screen switcher type of defender or something else, what do you think he could most likely develop a few years into his NBA career?
3: Um. I mean, I think he is a little bit of an underrated passer. His his assist numbers were were terrible at Arizona. He only averaged uh, he averaged less than assists assist per game. But he actually showed, it's, and it wasn't like he he doesn't like he's not doesn't know how to pass or he never passes. It's just he wasn't really put in a position. Most of the time when he was getting the ball, he was like spotting up, so he wasn't really in a position to get assists. So I think he could be um, a, a good passer, but. I, I think I, I like his defense is is his knock on him heading into the draft, but I do think that he can be a guy that maybe could play small ball center um, and could he won't he won't be he won't he'll never be a shot blocking like a big shot blocking threat, but I do think he could he could be uh, on on defense. I think he could play center and, and be pretty effective. I mean, it won't it definitely won't happen. It definitely won't be like that in his first year in the league, but I think down the road he. He could be at least an adequate defender. And and then on offense, if he's at least adequate on defense, on offense as a center, with his ability to stretch the floor, he'd be a a very valuable player.
1: Ryan, a lot of great insight on a very, very exciting prospect in Lowry Market, and thank you so much for joining us. Thanks
3: for having me. All
1: right, let's start with you, Nada. Did this reinforce or make you rethink your basketball Jones?
2: Um, th- this, this really just whatever, like like I listen to it and I'm trying to cal- like calm myself down because when you hear the whole, he's a gym rat, he works on his craft, <laughs> everything. It, it's like this guy, Cliff will love him. Cliff will love this guy. He works and considering that I do agree with Ryan on this one point that most of his physical issues are strength related. I do, I do totally believe that when it comes to him. So I completely understand why. I, again, I do after looking at the film myself a little bit because I saw the uh, UCLA Pac-12 championship game where he scored 29 against UCLA, put a just made TJ Le- Leaf look horrible, and just between that and a, a bunch of other games, I think he's perfect. I think. He's the guy that Frank Kamensky was supposed to be, and I think we just grabbed – I think he's a precursor. I think Frank Kamensky was a precursor to this guy, and more importantly, I think Lowry can be better than Frank by probably – I would like to say February. I really like Uh. this kid.
1: Uh, wow. David, really he, you know Nada does Nada makes a good point that Lowry Markin unlike some other international prospects, I know he played. You know he played the one year at at Arizona, but uh, sometimes these international guys come with this baggage of. Uh, that, you know, they kind of have an ego issue. You look back at Mario Hazonia, the pick in 2015 for the Orlando Magic. Not a problem with at all with Lowry, who, uh, for all intents and purposes, was an amazing teammate at Arizona. And you heard there, very hard worker, would fit in personality wise with the Charlotte Hornets. But if they decided to make him the pick, would he fit just his game? Would that fit within this current uh, construction of the roster?
0: Well, yeah, I think when you compare him to the guy that has been slotted to the Hornets in a lot of picks, uh, Zach Collins, who we recently talked about, the difference between those two guys, I mean, one of them is that marketing is, by all accounts, like a dead shot shooter, right? I mean, he's got the shot down. So if you're looking to add, like for me, I'm looking to add, if possible, shooting and athleticism. I don't think either one of those guys has given you a ton of athleticism, but if you're going to add the shooting in one of them that we know for sure, right? Like Collins may develop into it. We don't know. Uh, but Markkinen, by all accounts, is is the better shooter of the two, and should be ready to go. My my concern is, and this is probably just overthinking the draft in general. But if he's already labeling uh, this guy as you know a role player, right? Like, how high is the ceiling on Markkinen? Do you guys think?
1: Well, no, I think I think you're right in what. Even though, look, I see these videos online that are cropping up of his workouts, and his shot is perfect. I mean, his sh- he's going to be immediately a better three point shooter than Porzingis in terms of bigs. He'll be one of the probably top five uh, uh, big shooters in the league just coming in because that's that's what scouts are saying. That's what uh, that's what's exciting these coaches. But I'm a little torn because normally I'd, I'd be all about drafting a guy like Lowry Markin because. I think drafting for next season's need is absurd. Uh, these players normally need—they they need at least two seasons of seasoning before you even know what kind of player they're going to develop into, and by All then. Them. Basically. By, yeah, exactly. And by then, your team needs have probably drastically changed. I mean, you saw the Hornets. You didn't think they were going to need another big, and then all of a sudden they trade two of their centers, and now some front court availability opens up. However, to go Stephen A. Smith here, however, the Hornets have so few options and so little flexibility in this offseason to add weapons and address needs, I'm not sure that using it on what would be a, another redundancy in this roster and a guy that um, is not very athletic, can only play one side of the floor, and that one side is not defense, I think would be a mistake for the Hornets this season.
0: But so so you're, you're valuing you would value like the shot blocking presence of Zach Collins over the shooting of marketing. I would value the I'm comp.
1: Hearing? Yeah. I would value not just shot blocking, but I would just value the competency on both ends of the floor because I don't think hmm. that, I don't think that Lowry is going to be able to do anything defensively in his first couple of seasons.
2: And I do agree with that. I do agree with that. And he's
1: not – look, and you – you Neither you, compared Frank. Him, you com- Frank. Well, that's the thing. You compared him to Frank Kaminsky, and I'll say this about Frank the, in comparison to Lowry. Lowry is obviously going to be the much better shooter, but in terms of offensive versatility, uh, I don't think that Lowry is going to be able to to show off any of the moves that we've seen from Frank in terms of his ability to get into the lane and finish. I just don't think that Lowry's going to do that. I mean, he's going to be a pick and pop, exclusively a pick and pop catch and shoot kind of guy.
2: I do agree with that. The one thing is, I uh, the one thing I would say is look at a guy like a Ryan Anderson of sorts. How sure. valuable is he in terms of stretching the floor, occasionally playing small bell, center? Granted, it didn't work for very long, but I would also I would point out that a guy like Ra- Ryan Anderson is always going to be valuable in this pace and space era. And that's one thing Cliff has also pushed a little bit is this idea of pace and space. Now, if you're going to say Frank can do that and has a little bit of a back-to-the-basket game, I'm not going to fight you on the -the back-to-the-basket game. But for the pick-and-pop, the things that this team really needs to do well in order to space the floor for a Kemba Walker, in order to space the floor for an MKG in time at times, I would say he fits this, especially the second unit start basically immediately. He helps the second unit. I would also yeah. say he's not first unit ready. I would agree with you there. I would say second, unit, second unit guy. I would probably prefer him over Frank, especially if you're going to tell me he shoots anywhere from 35 to 40% from three, because then he would clearly be the best three point shooter on that
1: second unit, and I David, you know yeah. what I, you know what I say about redundancy drafting redundancies is bottom line, you end up getting the better player. Like if Lowry's better than Frank Kaminsky, then you end up with Lowry marketing, and then you find out what you what you can do with Frank Kaminsky, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you bring Lowry in, you yeah. know it's not a huge investment, and you find out right. that he's not a, as good a player as Frank Kaminsky. But I just go back to my previous point that they have so few options. Uh, this offseason, that it would feel like uh, almost a, a waste of, of a decision. Not a waste of a draft pick, but a waste of a decision. Mm-hmm. The possibility of Lowry being available is probably the thing that convinces me most that the Hornets need to trade down or trade out of the draft.
0: Wow, trade out of it completely. Well, yeah, we're talking about these two guys, or I was. Back fact of the matter is I don't think they'll have their choice of either Collins or... or, or yeah, Morgan, I'm, right? I'm kind of with that, too. So So that debate probably won't even be a factor. Uh, but not to mention the other thing that I'm looking for and anybody they can add to this team this year, whether it's whatever the mid level exception, draft, trade, whatever, spacing the floor. Because they aren't going to add it with the guys they have on the on the on the roster right now, right? Like we don't think Zeller is going to magically add that three point shot that he never had. MKG, I don't see that coming with this reconstructed jumper. Like they've got to get guys who can space that floor. That's what they were looking for from from Marvin last year. That's what they were begging for from Frank, who gave it, you know, night in, in night spurts. Uh, you know, in spurts. Right. But if they can add that in one of those places, then I do think it's worth, uh, you know, the pick there, especially uh, right on that border of 11 or 12. I think that's where the draft is is really going to have a gap in talent. So uh, they just I hope they have done their homework on draft night, because uh, if they can add a guy who spaces it, I, I think they come out of that with a win.
1: The more teams that see marketing shooting up close and personal I think increases the the odds that he's taken in the top 10. In fact, I know yeah. that everything right now is about the New York Knicks being in love with Dennis Smith and they need a point guard, but I could it's totally crazy. I could totally see the Knicks just salivating over putting a Lowry marketing next to uh, Kristaps uh, Porzingis, and, and spacing the floor as much as possible. I could totally see that happening. So I think Markkinen, even more than Collins, is going to to be less and less of an availability option for the Hornets at eleven.
2: I do agree with you there. I do think he's. There's part of me that thinks he's destined for either Sacramento or the Knicks. Like you said, mm-hmm. I think Dallas is in love with French Frank, which saddens me because he would be ideally the perfect guy. And I I do believe that if Lowry's gone and, and Collins, who I'm I, I'm starting to see it with, if yep. those two are gone, I do think that you do need to trade out of the uh, you either need to trade down or trade out, and unfortunately uh, the Hornets are not in a spot where they can take on an additional salary to take on a pick because it, as you see right now you have Detroit that's talking about trading yep. out of the draft, you have Portland that's looking. For someone to take on a contract, maybe you bring in a Mo Harkless or something like that and, and ask for fifteen. But unfortunately, the Hornets aren't in the ability to do do that because of Miles and to a lesser extent Marvin and Batum. So maybe it's maybe hey, you it's guys, just hey,
1: yeah. Go ahead, David.
0: You, you guys aren't worried about getting nothing out of uh, two consecutive first rounds, like <laughs> zero picks. <laughs> oh, I'm very worried about that. Okay. okay.
2: Do not uh, The one thing, and this is this was my issue, and I think I talked about it with you guys last year, when the Marco trade happened, we are a small market team. You don't see normally see small market teams trade out and not develop guys. And unfortunately, with this team, and you know that we're always going to be salary cap strong, you always have to have that pipeline. If you're going to draft, you have to draft within minds of, okay, we're going to play them maybe four, three months in Greensboro and then they will be rotation ready. You have to go in with that kind of mindset for me, for the Hornets. That would be my preference. You go with the raw talent. You go with the guy that's going to fit long-term into some kind of plan or scheme and you draft and look at a perfect example is DeJounte Murray played the first couple of months in for, for, for the Spurs in the D league and then was ready to go. For the last half of the season, and mm-hmm. didn't hit the wall or anything along the lines of that. I think, but they that's have, the but, model the Spurs, the but the Spurs, but the Spurs, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But
1: the Spurs have yeah. have that luxury because they do have some superstar Warriors. talent, and the Warriors as well. I think I feel like the Hornets are a little bit like one of those rail shooting games, like House of the Dead, where they're sort of mm-hmm. on a track. And uh, for a variety of reasons, they really can't get off of that track. And so, of course, like I, I would love for them to start planning long term and start, you know, scouting, scouting out what what five years from now looks like. I just I just don't know if they're they're there yet, um, and I don't know if they could get there. So as long as they're trying to win now, I, I just we talked about this several years ago that they've they're they're on a strategy. And they have to continue to pursue that strategy until it doesn't make sense to do that anymore. And I just don't think that that time is now. One thing that I don't understand, and maybe you guys can help me out with this, is some of the people that like uh, Frank Ntilikina from France, the the point guard out of France. They like that pick for the Hornets.
0: That's what Nada was saying. That's what Nato, were you saying
1: that Nada? Yeah, I don't really understand that because it do, it really think would Jamal feel. Think Jamal
0: Crawford. Think
2: Jamal Crawford. He's the, and
1: yeah, but that's it, but he's not going to be Jamal Crawford.
2: I think he's closer to Crawford than you think. I think he's got the handle. I think the one, the one thing about Crawford is he doesn't have that ability to score like Crawford, but I do think that that combo point guard again, has that natural point guard skill or better yet, not even Crawford. Think of a Livingston without the explosiveness.
0: Hmm. Yeah. I mean, it feels like the two guys, they could theoretically have a shot at from that point guard group are Frank and maybe Dennis Smith. If you get some jumbled up stuff that goes in front of them, cause you have the Knicks and you have the Kings, right. And they, they could do something crazy, but it does feel like the Knicks, like Smith, um, the Mavs, like Frank. I mean, I would be fine with Frank to be honest with you, especially if all this stuff happens in front of them. I mean, backup point guard is a need. I mean, I guess you're concerned about him coming over and playing right away. But at that point, if Collins is gone, if marketing is gone, if Smith is gone, if you know, if all of these top tier guys are gone, I think Frank slides in there right at that, that at the end of these uh, upper echelon talents, and he could be a guy they look at.
1: But I'm not. Th- I'm not I mean, even. Cons- I'm not even concerned about the fact that it would take him several years to play. I'm concerned about what I see on tape. Uh, the fact that he's 19 years old, but I've I- watched tape. I'm not. I'm not even talking about tape. What? <laughs> <laughs> Listen, I've been trying to catch up on Twin Peaks. I can't watch tape. Uh, no, but I but I read things like he's an inaccurate passer, and I've watched some of his passing. It's not only that he's inaccurate. It's, I mean, basic passes. I look at him making them, and they're like basic pocket passes, and I go, oh, my God, when that speeds up to NBA level, that doesn't have a well, chance of yeah. making it through. Yeah, he, I mean, executing and, basic plays is difficult for him right now, and, and he yeah. doesn't have the body to be a combo guard yet. So and not, and not yet. yet, and
0: and the and the problem with the theory that I just laid out perfectly was that can you really see Clifford and this crew, this team, rostering uh, Frank and uh, Briante Weber at two and three? Or, you know, under your your, no. your, your your point guard two, point guard three, however you want to do it. There's no way. <laughs> no, but the thing with French Frank that I would
2: say is if he, if he's drafted, then you just might as well assume that they're bringing back Ramon Sessions, and then they're gonna oh, then yeah. they're gonna stash him in Greensboro for a year which I'm perfectly fine with at this point.
1: Okay, let's move on uh, to our next segment. We're calling Gem or G-Leaguer. I've got some second-round blind test picks here. I'm going to read you the specs. I'm going to read you some of the things that, that according to The Ringer uh, and their amazing draft breakdown, these are things that these prospects do well and some of the things that they don't do very well. And you guys are going to tell me, if this player, without knowing their name or where they played uh, college ball, you're going to tell me if they are a gem or a G-leaguer, and then we'll talk about them as a possible second-round prospect for the Charlotte Hornets, who sit at at 41 currently, although uh, they haven't used a second-round draft pick since Jeff Taylor uh, several several years ago. So um, Yeah, don't...
2: and Jeff Taylor left a very bad taste in the mouth of that organization. <laughs>
1: I don't think that is why they don't pick in the second round, but... Um, all right. Here's the first one. The specs are 22 years old, six foot seven inches tall, 235 pounds, with a 6'10" wingspan. The good. I
2: already know who this is.
1: Hey, okay. The good, athletic at rim finisher, versatile enough to defend guards and wings, and uh, he defends without fouling. The bad, defensive intensity wanes lacks creativity as a ball handler, and hasn't excelled versus elite competition. We'll start with David. David, is this unknown player a gem or a G-leaguer in the second round?
0: All right. So, just to understand the rules of this game, we are going blind taste test off of second round guys to declare whether or not they're going to play in the
1: NBA. Right? Yes. Was I not clear? <laughs> was I? <laughs> oh, I've been watching. I mean, a, listen, just, I've been watching. A, no, I'm. I'm being. I wasn't being sarcastic. I've been watching a lot of David Lynch, and I just may be too abstract at this point. Uh, no, oh, yeah, you're a big so if at this he's point. Okay. if you declare this yeah. is this is important to understand. David. I got it. If I you it. no, but I think I should I should make this clear. If you declare him <laughs> a gym, you are saying that he's essentially Malcolm Brogdon, that he could play substantial minutes, uh, that yeah. he would be a, a diamond you. in the rough. And if he's a G leaguer, that guy's heading to Greensboro immediately.
0: I got that. Yeah. Okay. I'm going with the gym on this one because I like some of the stuff he said. I am going
2: G Leaguer,
0: but barely
2: because that defensive intensity wanes is the type of thing that doesn't get you playing time. Go ask Jeremy Lamb.
1: All right. Yeah. You said you knew who this player was. Let's go ahead and I, test I think you.
2: I think it's Semi Ogile.
1: You are correct.
2: You won.
0: You did it. Yeah. He's going.
1: Yeah. 22 I mean, years I old, 6'7, like 6'10 wingspan, 235 pounds. And let me tell you, that's not, he's not a. That's not uh, that's not flab. Those aren't donuts. I mean, he packs on huge muscle. The strength of Paul Bunyan and the touch of a masseuse.
2: Yeah. Semi Ojale. It's funny because I see him. I don't think he's a three. That's the big thing with him. I don't think he's a three. I think he's closer to a power forward. I think he's an undersized four. I like him, but at the same time, I worry about his three point shot.
0: Hey, so uh, that's amazing. You knew that. First of all, no, that's awesome. But I I would, my, my reasoning for going gym is because I've stopped caring about defensive intensity waning. I agree with you. It's definitely important, but these guys coming out of college, I don't know what to believe from, you know, from scouting that says, well, these guys didn't play hard all the time in college on defense. Like Dennis Smith's getting that rap and I certainly don't blame him for not playing hard. No, no, exactly. You know what I mean? So, So I'd be willing to overlook it is all I'm saying.
1: All right, we'll move on to the next one. Uh specs are 19 years old, six foot four inches tall, two hundred and eight pounds with a six eight wingspan, so six four with a six eight mm. wingspan. The I good like uh, I like that. <laughs> the good, he is a crafty at rim finisher who can use either hand at the rim and score against contact. He is quick laterally and plays very hard. The bad, he lacks lead guard skills, forces passes rushes shots and is undersized as a two guard. Is this a gem or a G leaguer?
2: Ooh, I'm going G leaguer because if yeah. he does, if because if, if, if he's rushing stuff like fundamental, like if you're trying to make that transition from shooting guard to point guard, it's best to at least attempt it in college. And the fact that he hasn't attempted it until now, it's the same thing. I, it's the same issue I have with Donovan Mitchell. You can't change up a guy's – you can't change that up on the fly. He needs to do that somewhere where it can't burn you. So he's a guy I park in the G League no matter what.
1: David, you the same?
0: Yep, Yep. G League as well.
1: All right, this is uh, Frank Jackson out of Duke who decided to stay in the draft – because it looked like he was going to possibly lose his position as Duke's lead guard. Struggled at times last season for Duke, but did have a very impressive showing at the Combine uh, well enough that he did not even participate in in day two, I really like Frank Jackson, and I think I don't know if he's going to be available at forty-one necessarily, but I would not mind the Hornets taking a chance on a guy like Frank Jackson because yeah, he's he definitely has some issues, uh, but in the second round, I, I think you could find uh, uh, certainly uh, much poorer uh, talent than Frank Jackson, and, and
2: you could. I definitely, I definitely agree with that. I definitely yeah. agree with that. But he's again, he's a guy that you draft and stash in Greensboro for a year. And that's not a, pro- that's not a problem. That's not a problem at 41.
1: Deep. Exactly. I think at, Jackson at 41,
2: you draft and start stash in Greensboro and then make him your main attraction. You shouldn't have a problem with that.
1: Jackson to me is like a perfect example of the second round, like crossroads player. He's a cliffhanger. You don't know particularly which way he's going to go. And I feel the same way about Frank Nelakina, but people seem keen on taking him in the top 15. I'm, I'm not so sure. But on a guy like Frank Jackson, I, I think it would be a good pickup. For the Charlotte Hornets. All right, final one. Here we go. Uh, this guy is 22 years old, another another oldie, but a goodie. Six foot five inches tall, 204 pounds with a six eight wingspan. Uh, the yeah. good is great locker room guy, good spot up three point shooter, and can defend multiple positions and wins 50 50 balls on the boards. The bad, his shot is uh, severely flawed, lacks just uh, technically it's severely flawed, though he did shoot well lacks the burst to create his own shot, not a playmaker, and an average finisher. Is this guy a gem or a G-leaguer in the second round?
0: I mean, if he's making that three, I'm giving him a gem. Because if you can make threes and, and you know defend multiple positions, I'll take a chance on you in the second round. G-leaguer only because I'm a very tough guy. Gr- I am the Russian judge of this group. <laughs> and
2: more importantly, I... I like the struggles with length, average finisher, at some point you're going to have to put the ball on the floor, and if you can't do that, then you're there's going to be issues when it comes to rotation. Yeah, I gotta park you in the D league till, till you learn how to finish.
1: Uh, this guy is not he's not necessarily Rudy Gay light. He's sort of Rudy Gay zero, kind of like Coke zero. This is Josh Hart, the senior oh. wing out of Villanova.
0: Josh, There's, Hart- Malcolm, wow. ba- there's your Malcolm
2: Brogdon right there. That, yeah, I could see. I can see why people say he's Brogdon. I I've seen some comparisons to Jimmy Butler. I'm not necessarily sure I subscribe wow. to that. But I don't know. Uh, with with Josh Hart, it's funny because he can play, but it's almost like this. Again, it's a it's a very low, very high floor, low ceiling guy, mm-hmm. and I don't at 41. I'm okay with again drafting, stashing him in the G League, but I don't know. Some about so I like him, but I've also seen that he's like actually six three without shoes on. That kind of scares me.
1: Someone kind of is me. going to get a huge steal with Josh Hart because I'm telling you, if I if I showed you the tape and I scratched out twenty two and put nineteen years old, this guy's going top ten. Yeah. Yeah, which yeah. is he's which is solid. Which is if he
0: can stick, he's going to be solid, right? I mean, he's going to be a guy you can count on to go out there and 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 almost pro- not produce from day one, but be a solid guy almost from twenty two years old.
1: Yeah, I, I put him in this list, but I, I hate to break anyone's heart in Hornets land. I just Josh Hart, unless the Hornets fall in love with him, him and then trade him down. The yeah, he's well. I think he's going to be. Uh, right on the cusp. I think 31-32. I think the, the probably the Lakers or the Sixers nab him with the first couple of picks uh, in, in the second round because both of them were in attendance to his uh, workout today in Los Angeles. So I think Josh Hart uh, g- garnering a lot of attention and still knocking down those shots despite he's just going to be one of these guys who has sort of a weird shot and for some yeah, reason it goes Sean in. Marion
2: made it work, yeah. Sean right. Marion made it work, but Here's the team that I worry about grabbing him in the first round. Doesn't he seem like the perfect spur? Doesn't he seem like the ideal San Antonio spur? Josh Hart. Uh, Maybe. That's the guy. That's I the just team don't
1: I will at. they I just will he Yeah, will they will they take a chance on him in the first round? I'm not sure.
2: I, I think they would. I think they would. I not I think they would.
1: You wrote an article for Creative Loafing on a topic we spoke about last week: the NBA's decision to return the 2019 All-Star Game to Charlotte. As we could tell when we spoke last week, you are disappointed with the decision. I am. Tell us what you think. I am. You've, 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 co- your thoughts have coalesced. They've, they've congealed. They've been put down uh, on paper, paper and on the internet. What do you think?
2: Honestly, the one thing I will say is the response has been remarkably positive i haven't gotten any of the angry fans yet maybe because i've blocked most of them before (laughs) i don't know um uh, but it's like i said in the piece i'm more disappointed with the nba in this um it was funny i was talking to somebody today and they were like you could almost tell them the response from jordan they're like we're not entirely happy with this ourselves but we understand i put this more uh, as i told you last week i put this more at the feet of the nba than than charlotte and uh, and a lot of this like i get why silver's doing this i get why they're they're trying to mend fences they're trying to uh, go by their word and we've discussed this before about successfully holding this event my biggest my biggest issue probably with this is that with the way that the house bill 142 states right now the only time that the lgbtq community gets any kind of equal rights is a, during a three-day event in february in charlotte that they have to pay a ton of money to attend that's the only time they get treated like regular citizens and i think that's the biggest issue i have is if you're going to make this a moral stand if you're going to make this part of your tenants and if you're not going to talk to a guy like rick welts who's uh, who for all intents and purposes was one of the biggest reasons why the game didn't happen in 20, this year? Then I guess what are we talking about when you bring it back in 2019 and virtually nothing has changed?
1: Well, I guess I'm more okay with with what's going on at this point than you are because is because I early on questioned the clarity and the purity of the uh, moral quote unquote stance that they took towards this. I felt like at the time that it. It seemed like he was trying to toe the line between a business decision and a and a you know social justice uh, position as well, and I just didn't. It didn't feel right. It it didn't feel as radical as the NCAA, uh, which I think sort of did take that uh, more hardline stance, and then they but they've since backed off of that as well. Uh, I, I just I just don't know of I don't know what what the opposite resolution if they had not given the game back I just think the 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 league and uh the team they 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 worked hard I don't think you can question their effort I think it would be a different story if, if they did not try very hard to to get the change uh that was and it felt like they were trying to get change that was not only just sort of the minimum necessary change it felt like they were pushing uh, for equality and And because of the political realities in Raleigh, they fell short of that. And now we're back to the status quo. But I just don't know what the uh, denying Charlotte the game again in 2019. I'm not sure that that would have advanced any kind of cause. And and I understand the NBA's position in that you do have a franchise in Charlotte. Uh, And so at some point, you either have to say, okay, we've got to work within the confines of the political realities or we have to, you know, Not do business in North Carolina anymore, and and they're not going to do that.
2: That was the one thing I, I worry about. And the other thing that we talked about last week is if Texas is going to just fast track this bill, that they're going to do a similar bathroom bill. I mean, at this point, Adam Silver's got no credibility. He's got none because they'll say, Okay, we'll have this bill on for a year. We'll retract it once we lose a little bit of money and the and and the NBA will come back and they're not gonna do anything because we've seen them do it to North Carolina. We've seen the test case. And I think the the fairest thing to do, quite honestly, would have been we're not going we're gonna table any Charlotte discussions until twenty twenty-one when when House Bill 142 was going to come up for renegotiation or whatever. And then we'll go from there. We're going to table any discussions on moving a franchise or anything else like that, basically saying, look, you have, you have basically have three years to get your stuff together. And then when 2021 comes around, the big windfall is all yours if you do it right. And I think that would have been more than fair. But again, I understand that people will have felt Sean, people will feel would have felt even more disrespected saying, we did the bare minimum, but I just think when it comes to a case like this, and effectively when you start marching with folks in New York at the Gay Pride parades, that you can't necessarily half step this. And I think that's what they did. They chose a comfortable, comfortable middle point and said, "Okay, we're cool with this," instead of possibly taking it one step further, which I think and which would would have been well within their rights because. When you let the NCAA take the moral high ground, there's kind of a problem.
1: You can read more of Nada's thoughts on CLCLT.com or just follow him on Twitter at Nada the Scribe. Uh, Nada, real quick, the finals get started tonight. What's your prediction for the series?
2: Um, I got Cavs in six.
1: Whoa! Cavs in six. That's radically different from the rest of the people that we've polled. I have Warriors in five. David has Warriors in five.
0: That's right. Which means Cavs in six, probably second so
1: Yeah. Congratulations, Nada. Why do you think Cavs in six? Just real quick.
0: I just think, I just LeBron. think it's
2: LeBron's time. I really just think we're in the age of it. Doesn't matter what kind of team you put against LeBron, he is the just, ultimate. He can't, defi- he
1: can't defend five guys. I just no, but I, I, there, I'm, again, I'm, there there aren't enough guys to defend him in this
0: league. Yeah, I'm I'm with you on that, Not I, I do think if you put together a team that was up three one on him last year, and then you add Kevin Durant, that's a pretty good start. <laughs> so that's where I can just come back to it. It's like, man, they were three one last year. And then all that stuff happened, and they swapped out Harrison Barnes. He just keeps getting killed, like constantly. Like, can can can, he, can they let him live in Dallas? They, they asked KD. He he time. had a
2: good season, despite I know. like his non-dribbling self had a really he did. good season. He
0: did have a good season. They asked KD, hey, are you gonna uh, you know basically falter like Harrison Barnes did in the finals last year? And he was like, what do you think? And I'm like, you know, that that, that <laughs> made me chuckle. I'm not even gonna lie. That, I know. I, made it made chuckle. you it made you belly laugh on Twitter.
1: It did.
2: I'm yeah. sorry. It, it made me laugh. It still makes me Listen, laugh. Listen,
1: I'm I'm okay with anything that makes not a laugh on Twitter as opposed to fight Just people with un- un- 27 uh, followers on Twitter.
0: But, but that's what it breaks down to me. They added Durant to the mix. So, um,
2: yeah, we'll see. One though. key. It's going to be good. The benches are going to be very key, and I'm worried about the Golden State bench. I'm worried about that. That Cavs bench is very, very deep. You like care curless kurt uh, the
0: curless bench worry at all?
2: Um That's
0: the other thing. I don't trust Mike Brown. A little yeah yeah, yeah. Okay, I don't
1: trust Mike Brown. But well but 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 how but he's shown in this playoffs already that that he is he is okay with with not sort of dipping his <laughs> hand too far in the honey pot. Yeah, and he has not lost. So there's <laughs> that too. Talent over he overcomes. hasn't
2: lost, but at the same time, I mean when has he really uh, actually had to do X's and O's coaching? And I think that's his weakness. He yeah. hasn't had to do it yet. He really hasn't had to.
1: We, uh, that's what scares me. me. We shall see, and we're out of time. Thanks so much for listening to Locked On Hornets here on the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, make sure you check out Locked On Warriors and Locked On Cavaliers for more analysis of this year's NBA Finals. Follow us on Twitter at Locked on Hornets, Subscribe to us on iTunes. Give us a five-star review. It helps hardcore Hornets fans like yourself find this podcast. Shoot us your Hornets questions and thoughts to buzzbuzz buzz at LockedOnHornets.com or you can hit up the contact page. That's LockedOnHornets.com slash contact. We're back again next week with much more Hornets news and analysis and probably some Twin Peaks takes for David. I'm Doug. Thanks to Nada. Go Hornets. Go America. Let's swarm Charlotte.
3: With the
2: holidays around the corner, now's your chance to save time and money at Safeway's stock up sale. Plus, earn four times gas reward points on participating items. Look for tags on items like Honey Nut Cheerios. Select varieties are four for $8 with your club card. And select varieties of Betty Crocker cake mix, brownie mix, or frosting are 10 for $10 with your club card. Maximum gas reward at participating Sunoco stations is 20 cents per gallon and $1 per gallon at Safeway stations in a single fill of up to 25 gallons. Other restrictions, limitations, and exclusions apply. For complete details, go to Safeway.com.